Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Solo Life, the podcast for PR pros and marketers who work for themselves. People like me, Michelle Kane, and my as ever fabulous co-host, Karen Swim of Solo PR Pro. Hi, Karen. How are you today? I'm great, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Roll, you know, as I always say, rolling along. I don't know what image that gives people, but that seems to always be the thing that comes out of my mouth. It but, is an insanely busy season and so yes. much going on. And I, but we are here in Michigan are enjoying the most beautiful fall ever. So that makes it all like all the crazy. Makes it all better. Makes it all better. But yeah. I'm excited to dig into our topic today. Yes. Free bird. No, <laughs> not quite. The bird is free, meaning Twitter has a new owner. I'm not sure if anyone's heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to talk today about what does this mean for us as PR pros? Does Is it going to mean anything? I know, you know, we have seen a lot of discussion both within our industry and amongst Twitter users as a whole. Are you staying? I'm going to stay. What's going to, what, what will it take to make you leave? That kind of thing. And I don't know. I'm I'm in the wait and see camp, and I'm sure you saw. I, I also did. I tweet that or text it. Of you know, it's I I may just stay out of spite, and then I went on a whole Larry David tangent of he should start a spite Twitter. If you watch Curb, you know what that means. If you don't, you're probably thinking, "Good Lord, turn it over to Karen already." <laughs> <laughs> no, I and I I want to believe that most of us are in that same camp, and so it's yeah. interesting with PR professionals in particular. I don't know about any other professionals. I find that many of us truly use Twitter for personal reasons. Yes, we follow you know media there because lots of the journalists um, use Twitter. So we use it to research. I know for me as well, sometimes I'll, I'll always look at a Twitter account if it's somebody that I've never pitched before to see if they're active and what kinds of things they're sharing. But also it's a great way to see what someone is up to. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to see like, hey, have, you know, I'm not seeing any recent stories. Are they around and what's going on with them? Twitter is usually a great first place to check. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Yeah. So I use- you have two decisions. One is a personal decision about remaining on a social network, but then there's the other bigger decision, or I shouldn't say bigger, but the different decision about how do you advise your clients about these social networks? Right. You know, I've been on Twitter since the beginning. Twitter started in 2006. So you know, 16 years in, obviously this platform has evolved. And and what initially attracted me to it is that it felt like an underground party. (laughs) And it was just a bunch of people just sharing dumb stuff, but it was fun. And you were, you know, that, that thrill back then, 16 years ago of actually being able to talk to someone who was across the world in real time. Yeah. That was so exciting. I don't know, you know, Michelle, if you remember that that feeling. And so oh, completely, completely. Yeah. I, I think I came on a few years after that. And it's funny when you say underground party, because anytime I talk about social media in general, I always say that Twitter, picture Twitter is your where Facebook is more your backyard barbecue. You know most of the people there. Maybe you let a few guests in. 
Twitter is more like a cocktail party where you don't know who you might meet and how that might change your life. Like I found solo PR pro through a tweet. So. And the solo PR pro community started because of a Twitter chat. And so I think for people who have been on this platform long for a long time, for me, you know, I've fallen in and out of love with Twitter over the years. There were years that I just didn't use it at all. I didn't deactivate my account. I just didn't use it because I didn't like it anymore. And I went other places and, you know, a couple of years ago, I came back and I fell in love with it again. And it really became a place where I was connecting with really interesting people. And, you know, let's not forget that Twitter has really redefined communications for us. The pivotal moment for me was in 2009 when Michael Jackson died. Hmm. And we were treated to real-time information and we were able to mourn together. Yeah. Of course, following that, you know, the death of Prince was another one of those moments. The Arab Spring in 2010 was a huge moment where we really saw this momentous shift towards Twitter really taking its place as the public square. Yes. And none of the other platforms... Facebook has a different sort of vibe and space, but none of the other platforms have quite been the place that you turn to for real-time news and that public square feel where you are discussing issues of the day, whether you are fighting about it, shouting about it, (laughs) announcing it. It really has a different, it still has that different niche within social media tools. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I one of my earliest memories of wow, this this is definitely the place for breaking news was, you know, when when we got Bin Laden. You know, you saw a story breaking. You know, president going to speak soon, and and then different journalists started to you know started to whisper about it, and you thought, ooh, okay, this is the place to be, and and sort of like you with community. I mean, for me, it's the place to be. I am one of those nerds. Don't invite me to your Oscar party. I want to be alone with my Twitter feed and my hashtag <laughs> and 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 giggle about the same things or grouse about the same things with people I don't even know because it really does it is great at bringing people together. Now the the flip side of that is and you know is the dark underbelly of of hateful people and people yeah. with ulterior motives and I think that is one of the the fears and I know you and I discussed this pr- prior to starting this episode of, you know, people already seeing things. There was an uptick, what was it, 500% uptick in racial slurs after this sale. I've not seen it, you've not seen it, but I'm I'm going to trust these people who are experienced, you know, their experiences. So, so it's brought that and we'll see how that shakes out or if it does. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people and, and, you know, here's, here's a sobering thought is that compared to the other social networks, Twitter's small in terms of its Mm -hmm. user base. It is not. It has 271 million users, daily users. LinkedIn has more and Facebook has like 80% more, I think. So when I think of, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn as the big three, we know that, you know, Facebook has other properties. We know that the other platforms exist, but these I would consider kind of the big three Mm -hmm. social media networks. 
as we look at the future, you know, people are talking about leaving. I don't know that Twitter's just going to crumble to the ground in the next year. In spite of the, you know, the Yahoo Tumblr people saying that they're going to burn it to the ground. I don't think that that's going to happen. And and the reason I don't think it'll happen, I think that it definitely could evolve and evolve again. Right. I don't think it will happen because human beings are now human beings, the individual human beings. We are, we're addicted to having a voice, having somewhere to go to like blurt it out, yeah. bad, good, all of it. And we're addicted to, connecting with other people digitally. Yes. So yeah. if we start eliminating all of these, I mean, is everybody going to flock to LinkedIn? No, because we also think of that as a professional platform. Right. Probably. It's a little junky these days, I have to tell you, but it's not the place that you go and you just live there and, you know, throughout the day you're sharing things. It's just not that kind of a platform. Right. It doesn't have that kind of vibe. Facebook, right. People hate Facebook. A lot of people <laughs> have left that in droves other than the groups, which Facebook has done an amazing job. Groups are, I think, its most important feature that doesn't get enough love. Mm, yeah. So where are we going to go? I personally am like thinking, and we were talking about this before the show, that just as we saw free information kind of morph over the years to free and then you pay or limited free, we could be entering a phase, and I, again, I don't think this will be an overnight thing, but the next big phase of social media may be paid social networks where you pay to be part of a social network. Maybe it won't be millions of users, but maybe it will be more focused content and a more focused community with tighter moderation because there will be a paid model from the beginning. People yeah. forget that these platforms are free. <laughs> They're free. Right. Well, and any of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's been said, you know, we are the product because we make it. And that's been something that I've seen people who have staked their claim and said, I am staying. This platform is nothing without us. If we are not using it, it has little to no value. So I'm sticking around because I find it useful. And, and, and I do agree with that. And, you know, look, we're all becoming accustomed to whether to what degree we do this, I don't know, but streaming services, you know, we, we eventually cave to one or two of them will eventually fall. You know, Hamilton got us all over to Disney plus this, that, and the other. So I think it could very well be headed that way. The whole charging for a verified account is a little misguided, but I, I think the, the notion of, okay, you know, almost like, okay, I'm going to get really inside baseball. You know, you pay for a stock photo account, right? You get 10 downloads a month. So maybe for $4.99, you get 100 tweets a week or something like that. It could, it could turn into something like that, which may also create a little more thoughtful interaction. And I don't know that that would necessarily be a bad thing. But let's think about, so we know that I think the Pew Research Center says that 22% around, this is, please don't quote me on this stat, <laughs> but there's a certain amount of Americans who have never used Twitter. Oh, and, totally. And there are tons of people that don't do social media because right. they're not in a profession that really 
makes them feel like it's required. Cause I don't right. ever want to say that social media is required. It's not, you don't no. have to do social media to be successful, right. but I believe that for many people in certain professions, they have this feeling that they need to be there because that's where their audience is. Here's where it gets really interesting. Big brands primarily use Twitter for uh, support and also for mm-hmm. advertising. Yeah. Advertising on LinkedIn, very different because it's not a place where brands would go to advertise product news or right. services. It's where you go to recruit talent. Right. Facebook audience has waned and it's very skewed. There's no young people over there. They're just not on Facebook. And if they, even if they have, you know, profiles, they're not using it. They mm-hmm. created it because at one point in time, and then they left in droves. So where do big brands go to advertise? Right. Um, and so we have to start thinking through these issues for our clients. Right. I think that we should start, if you haven't already been doing this, It's time for us to really go back to our roots and understand that as communication professionals, all of these things, all of these things are tools. Our value is in strategy. Mm -hmm. We're strategists. And so strategy calls for understanding what does your client want to achieve? If your client wants to achieve X, for many of them, it is, it always straight line to the dollar. No client has a goal just because it it needs to make sense for them financially. So your clients want to make money. They want to keep what they have. They want to grow it. And, you know, of course they have other goals. You know, some may have, you know, ESG goals. Some may have, you know, there are other things, but you have to really understand what does my client want to achieve by having those deeper dive discussions? What do you want? What are the successes that you want? And then we need to develop strategies that help them to achieve that. I think far too many in our profession lean on one lever. Oh, yeah. That's it. And sometimes we lean on that lever without a strategy, big mistake, because it's <laughs> a great way to turn through business. But I think more than ever now, it's our opportunity to really shine even brighter by showing the value that we have and, and thinking through these issues and sharing our insights with our clients. Like, here's what you need to be thinking about in the next year. Yeah. If you have clients that right now are using social media platforms for advertising, it's really time to begin to have the discussions. What if this changes? What if the audience changes? Let's talk about what your next steps are and some of the things that you should be evolving to over time so that they don't come unprepared. Um, Because I think that in the short term, this could get messy. It could get really messy and you could have some of the people that you really want go away. Right. And there's, yeah, there's a couple of things to consider there as well. Look, when social media came up, the main reason for businesses to be on it was, well, that's where your audience is. But you had to think about it, not just as a broad swipe, but where is your audience spending their time? And that could go for anything, right? Are they commuting? Do you want to do a billboard? Are they spending a ton of time on Facebook? Well, that's where you want to be. So it really makes sense to periodically ask yourself that question again and again and again. First of all, a lot of things I like to ask some of my clients, it's like, 
is this still your audience? Because let's not just assume that this is still your, your yeah. target audience. And, you know, I'm not talking like for Oreo cookies, that's everybody, right? But, <laughs> but you know, for, for different um, professional services, that kind of thing. Who are you still looking to get through the door or to get orders from? And, and then, okay, well, let's reevaluate these places that we've been, you know, sharing content. Does that still make sense for us? I know for a time I, I dallied with the notion of medium for one client, but at the end of the day, it didn't really fit. But, you know, so all of those things. And, and also it's interesting with, with this, the recent sale of Twitter that uh, General Motors and his IPG, they're all, putting all advertising for Twitter on pause, which could have led to the whole $20, no $8 for your checkmark reaction. (laughs) And I think some of the big advertisers are going to pause because I think we live, you know, first of all, in a culture of fear. We um, are afraid that cancel culture will come for us hard if we're Mm -hmm. on the wrong side of an issue. So pausing seems like a, it, it seems like a knee-jerk reaction to fear. And yes. I'm not saying that it's unwarranted because right. I have concerns about the direction of the platform as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm thinking if your clients are currently using Twitter and they're spending money there, if they're using it for advertising, it could be a good option to check out it. and don't just lean on another social network because I think that will be the tendency maybe the answer could be something completely different. You may, realizing that our audiences are already highly fragmented. It's not like before. They're fragmented. They're everywhere. It might be worth spending money, for example, to do sponsored newsletters with people that have a big mindshare for your audience. Mm -hmm. So start to think outside of the box and beyond social media, or maybe you have your own, you know, maybe you have a thriving website, maybe you create a community forum on your site. I mean, we have to start thinking about these things and how we can tap into our clients' audiences, how we can advise them moving forward. I will tell you, the one thing that is so distressing to my soul personally is the amount of misinformation, mm-hmm. disinformation that exists on every social networking platform yeah. from next door to TikTok, <laughs> to LinkedIn, to Twitter. It's distressing. And it's distressing yeah. to me because some of it is dangerous. Yes. So when you, you know, again, we democratize information sharing. You know, this whole digital age opened up where everybody could say everything. Everyone had a voice. Everyone could be their own publisher. And without moderation and without restriction and people taking free speech to mean I could say whatever I want, there are a lot of people that are yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. Yeah. And it is, it, it endangers lives. It's yeah. that, it, it has truly become that serious. And that's very scary. And I would not want my clients to be a part of continuing something that I would consider to be a danger to society. Correct. There's a fight that is just filled with hate speech, with information. Yeah, please get off. Yeah, Gab. Gab looking at you. Um, And and also, too, and this has been a a longstanding problem. And please, to our journalist friends, we, we get it. Please don't take offense. but clickbaity headlines. 
the headline misinforms. Now, perhaps 30 years ago, when our general societal critical thinking was sharper, we might have said, well, that headline sounds incredulous. Let me click through and read to find out. No. In recent years, the last decade or so, it's, oh, I saw that headline and that's blah, blah, blah. Now, this is a very minor example, but just this morning. So there was there were tweets going around last night that Philadelphia restaurants were refusing to feed the Houston Astros. And I'm thinking, well, that's not very brotherly love of us. So you saw a family member doing damage control. And here it, the real story was, well, they're closed Mondays and Tuesdays. And one of the restaurants, the order was going to be placed well after they were closed and they just didn't want to. <laughs> Like, I don't want to go back into work at 10 p.m., which was in the article. But now you've got, you know, these poor brick and mortar shops getting these because of the democratization, right? All these threats from, granted, they're in Houston. You're going to take a few days to get here. But it's like, really, could you just make an accurate headline? Would it? Yeah. Would it kill you? It would not. We we may have to do a whole podcast with this, and, and maybe we can invite yeah. some journalists to come. Yeah. I, I want to say that I truly believe, and and I truly believe that there are still so many great journalists out oh, there. Of and course, when I say journalists. I'm talking what we thought of Walter Cronkite, journalists who really care about the story, who dig deep. Some of these reporters lose their lives over a story. There yeah. was a, a reporter in Las Vegas who lost his life over yes. a story. I have such respect for the profession, but what I think has happened and is dangerous, and I am pretty sure that they hate this as well. Oh, I, I agree. Is that publishers mm -hmm. have forced them into covering stories that should never be covered. There's far too much coverage of celebrities and, you know, what they had for dinner, what they wore. I don't care. I really <laughs> sincerely do not care. And as you said, these headlines that are clickbait headlines, and that's because their, their livelihood depends on it. And, and this must stop because yeah. we need, and, and I know every PR pro fights tooth and nail to ensure that they are advocates for a free press. This is so important to our society. Yes. But I agree with you. This decay of this other sector of journalism has dangerous results. And what happens when you put headlines that are misleading, even if you read the article and it's accurate, is that we are communicating to a portion of society that is looking for negative messages. I don't even want to say susceptible, but I want to say that they have their beliefs and these things feed their beliefs in a very negative way. So we see people taking, you know, politics. And I don't think that just because you're a Republican, you're going to go out and kidnap or kill somebody. But I do think that there are people who have beliefs and that they leverage this political affiliation, which they may not even really be a Republican or a Democrat or whatever, but they leverage that. And somehow it weaves into this disordered thinking. And mm -hmm. all of these things contribute to acts like what we saw with 
Nancy Pelosi's husband. Yes. This is not okay and should not be okay for any of us. We should be screaming about it. We should be fighting it. We should stop reading these clickbait headlines. We, we're not reading it. If we're not buying it, if we're not supporting it with our ad dollars, with our subscription dollars, with our eyeballs, things will change. Yeah. This is an area that we have control on. They keep doing it because it keeps working. If it's not working, they will stop doing it, but we have to demand better. And I just don't see enough people demanding better of some of these media outlets. Instead, we read it, we share it, Mm -hmm. we don't read it. And that's even more dangerous. We'll look at a headline and we'll assume what it's all about. Exactly. Like wildfire, the wrong thing spreads. And and this is not okay, especially in an era where people are personally being attacked from celebrities to regular human beings. You know, you say something and it gets taken out of context and all of a sudden there is a mob showing up at your front door, ready to skewer you or take your job. This, this, this is scary. I mean, and yeah. it, so I can understand people who actually stay off social media for that reason, because they're protecting not only their privacy, but my God, their, their safety. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a whole other topic about, you know, how far political messaging has gotten and how, yeah. what happened to Paul Pelosi was just the payoff for decades of repetitive misinformation and demonization of one person to gain a preferred result. And that just nauseates me to my core, even, you know, it doesn't matter where I lie politically. I mean, I believe, you know, if we can go back years when Martin Luther King was assassinated, I believe that people mourned for the loss of a leader. When John F. Kennedy I believe that the nation mourned that loss. No one, no one in those two instances thought it was okay to assassinate a human being. We've moved so far. Well, I I think there were haters of both of them that probably were happy about it, but I get you. The voices were the loudest. And we didn't see. You're right. To my knowledge, we didn't see like this become like a thing where everybody on one side of the political aisle was silent. Right. About this whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Fast forward to this weekend, this past weekend, and it's like, are you serious? And no one is saying anything yeah. about a person being attacked in their home and put in the hospital. No. They're, in fact, they're making jokes. The governor of Virginia made a joke about it. And it's not okay. I'm not no. okay with any of it. And no. there are lots of incidents. I know we've had local incidents. Um, there are lots of incidents that just don't go widely reported of people who are trying to do their job, receiving yeah. death threats or people showing up at their homes, threatening their family. None of this is okay. I don't care what your, what your politics are. None of this is okay. But back to Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll bring it back that unfortunately, some of this, uh, much of this, you know, can be given oxygen on platforms yes, like Twitter and where people can stir each other up. Whereas, you know, you can stir each other to cheer for your sports team or you can stir each other up to think of nefarious acts. So it's, you know, like anything, there's good and bad to it. And it'll be interesting to see where this bird flies. It, it will. <laughs> and whether or not you're a personal user of Twitter, I yeah. do think it's really important to stay on top of this news 
to be thoughtful in researching, examining, and really thinking about the communication strategy for next year and moving forward and how you will advise your client. Start to think of other ways that you can help them and guide them in connecting community and in reaching their audience. And if that means some investments need to be made in technology on their end or moving, you know, reallocating dollars, I say lead that effort because that's part of us having a seat at the table is understanding the full business. Whether or not you're in charge of social media for your clients or not, I still believe it's our role to effectively oversee that strategy and be able to weigh in on how that fits into the bigger business picture. And, you know, whatever happens with Twitter and Elon Musk and the user base, the one thing that we can be assured of is that the social media landscape is not going to look the same, not in 2023, not five years from now, definitely not a decade from now. Right, right. And especially because as you know, it has been declared today that Facebook is going to allow public use. Not just kidding. That's the post you see every time. Every once in a while, you think, oh, really? Yes. <laughs> but anyway, we hope you found value in this conversation today. And we'd love to hear from you. Hit us up with your comments at soloprpro.com. If you have ideas of topics you'd like to hear us cover, we'd love to hear that too. But until next time, thanks for joining us on That Solo Life. <laughs>